Welcome to Leadership is No Accident. I'm Andy Robbins, and in each episode, leaders from all kinds of backgrounds share their stories of leading change. We explore what got them started, help them stick with it, and what ultimately fueled them to achieve their goals. We cover all of this and a whole lot more so you too can be a change leader. joined in this episode by Ruby Zeffo, Chief Privacy Officer at Uber. I worked with Ruby at Intel for a number of years and she is an impressive leader. I was surprised when she left Intel to join Uber, especially being a leading advocate for women's advancement at Intel. In this episode, we discuss why she decided to join Uber and how it's worked out. Ruby also explains how privacy done well leads to great user experiences. And I have to confess, it shifted my view. I now see that privacy is a pretty darned exciting place to work. Anyhow, let's hear from Ruby. Ruby, I got to say, I am delighted uh, to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So I'd like to start in maybe a very obvious place, and that's starting with privacy. You're the chief privacy officer at Uber. And can you give us an example of what that role is? What do you do as the chief privacy officer? And what does privacy sort of look like for Uber? So the chief privacy officer runs the compliance program for the global, the entire global team of compliance experts at Uber. Um, We work with a bunch of other experts as well, which is awesome. So we have privacy product people, we have privacy policy people, engineering, we have a data scientist. So it's a pretty broad group when you look at everyone, but we are here to do the legal work. Um, So I'm in the legal department. I report to the chief legal officer. And then the other part of our job is also to support the CISO organization. So we also obviously manage any kind of incidents or just basically how the CISO organization is working from a legal perspective. So that's the general overview of the role. Our jobs on a daily basis are simply all the stuff that goes into not just making our products and services compliant, but making them attractive to users as well, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's not all about legal compliance, that's the low bar. What we really want is an experience where the user feels safe and comfortable using our products and services so they can forget about that stuff and just focus on the actual product or service itself. Got it, because when you talk about compliance, it sounds very, very heavy and almost like a regulatory kind of role. Yeah, it's, I, I, and you know, to be honest with you, I mean, even dating back, there are times when I don't even mention the C word, you know, I've gone to new product development people before and never mentioned compliance at all. What I talk about is how to build things with privacy in mind Mm -hmm. and what that looks like and how you do it so that in the end of it, the customer's just super happy with the experience. And so I've used all kinds of analogies. I've used a really good race car analogy. And I have this diagram where there's a guy in a, he's going so fast in this open air race car that his cheeks are blown open. 
And I mentioned that when you look at it, what you see is this guy who all he's doing is enjoying this experience. But when I look at it, I see that he has a five point harness on, he's got a roll bar that's padded, he's got a padded steering wheel. I said, when he got into the car, he saw and realized those things. And then because he felt safe, he quickly forgot them. And so that's the kind of thing I try to explain to people building things is that's that's what you want, right? You want people to understand that these controls and things are there. And then they just enjoy the experience that they're supposed to be having. Got it. Yeah. And that's such a difference to, oh, compliance. Oh, error roadblock. Oh, I can't do this. And, you know, I love that. And, you know, what would really be really helpful is from an Uber perspective, and you touched on this, what does good privacy look like? Do you have a a simple example of within the product, something that I might not have thought about that is a great example of good privacy? Well, I mean, if you look in the app, there are things you probably didn't give too much thought about already. For example, you can do in-app chat with your driver and nobody's phone numbers are exchanged. Ah. Um, In many markets, your address is obfuscated afterwards so that the driver has a general idea where he dropped you off because he's got to check his billings but he doesn't know exactly where that was. So, you know, we just launched a couple of new features too, where you can see, you can see what the driver sees about you in his app. Ah. And, you know, there are certain times when the data then just, just disappears. So we're always thinking about what would make a better user experience. And some of that is just right in the app. It's easy to see the privacy settings and control them from the app, but a new thing like a COVID related thing, which is, is something that we've all been focusing on is the mask verification program. So both riders and drivers have to wear masks. We did not reuse the technology we have to actually authenticate drivers, which requires us to see who they are and map their face to the image we have on file. Instead, it's more or less an object identifier. You know, Is there a face and is there a mask on it? So it's much less invasive technology. It's just there to check that there's a mask on that thing. And that was something we purposely developed for, you know, something that particularly mapped to the need that was less invasive, more efficient, easier to launch and did the job. Yeah. Well, you know, with that example, I mean, it's a fantastic example, but you're touching on something that, first of all, I never even thought about the risk, which is maybe going back to your race car driver example, you you have the harness, but I never even thought about the fact that it could be somebody else driving that car who's, who's not the Uber, Uber driver. That's why we have these other technologies. (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And those are the things that, I think that's actually really important that we don't realize in society, we just take things for granted or assume these things until they go wrong. And, and what I hear you say is, oh, we're going we're gonna to basically provide the right level of, let's say, transparency in a contextual sort of form for you to have a great experience, but for it not to be intrusive and, and it to be safe. So Right. And there are a lot of balancing factors that you have to take into account. And we're a global company, right? And so you have to think about the impact on pers- the person's privacy against, in this case, a safety issue and how that is going to find the right happy medium so that every, you know, so that the yeah. safety issue is taken care of, but it's the least invasive way to do it. Yeah. 
you know, you're making privacy exciting. <laughs> How dare I? <laughs> right. Well, you know, when I started, there was a lot, you know, you, you end up with certain pundits and things, you know, engineering people or product people out in the world claiming that it's a blocker and, you know, that it ruins innovation and, and it doesn't at all. What it does is make your products better and more attractive to people. And so sometimes I go back to, you know, I go back to cars where I'll say something like, well, you know, these things should be entitlements because you wouldn't build a car and say, putting that seatbelt and that safety bag in is, is just ruining my design and my innovation. I mean, even Teslas have these things in them. And so I think, you know, for those people who are still in that old way of thinking, they really need to think forward because the world is moving into a much more privacy protective regime. And so you need to get ahead of it and not be the laggard who's being yanked along by someone like me. You should just be embracing it and helping me understand for your designs, what's the best way of finding that happy medium of, of you know, reaching the best customer design, but also whatever the issue is that we need to cover from a privacy perspective. Yeah, yeah. And this, this also sounds like it's a, it's a question of balances. And one of the challenges that I can see here is, you know, privacy is obviously very personal, very contentious. And what makes sense for one person is maybe anathema for another. It's like, no way. You know, and this is one of the challenges of leadership. You can't sort of be, leadership's not a popularity contest. You can't please everybody all the time. How do you how do you find the right balance? Because this has got to be a big challenge for you. It's a big challenge for everybody. That's what makes it exciting and worthwhile, right? I mean, I'm I'm not right out of law school, and I don't want to do boring things. I want to do things where experience and judgment come to bear. Mm-hmm. And for a global company, these things are still not harmonized, as you probably know. And so when you're now dealing with a bunch of different laws, but also a bunch of different technical contexts, right? So now there's a new technology. No one knows what to do with it. Do we like it? Do we not like it? How do we use it? How can I manage my own settings in it? You know, we've got that. And then you've got everybody's just individual lens and culture that they bring to the table. And so this contextual mosh pit of stuff that's different for everybody. I mean, even people, you know, in the same household can have different viewpoints of what the right or wrong thing to do is. And so that, that is very difficult to figure out, you know, the way to do it is obviously, as I said, the the law is a low bar. You've got to follow the law, whether you like it or not. And that's going to vary, but you also, you don't want your experience to be, you know, significantly less just because you've crossed a border, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so you want your user experience to be consistent. And so what has generally happened for a lot of global companies, especially given that the laws popping up are, are now mapping more to the European General Data Protection Regulation, is that that's sort of acting as a common framework. But there are still there's still room for differences. I mean, like the California law, which was passed in January, and then just this week, the sort of amendment to it was passed, the CPRA. Mm-hmm. That has GDPR elements in it. And Brazil has J, you know, the new Brazilian law has GDPR elements in it. So you can see this movement towards a framework that's similar to that. But there's still some room for doing things a little bit differently. 
here yeah. uh, in, in the US, for example. But following sort of that lens of, I will be respectful to consumer rights. They are going to have increasing rights. And so I should be prepared for that in a way that allows them to control as much as reasonable for yeah. the experience, right? Still having those things in place that you need to run your business, that you need for safety, that you need for legal reasons. I mean, there are some things that you just have to do that way. But for those things that aren't, but those things that are optional for depending on how you want your experience, it's always good to make a very easy way for people to find and control those. Yeah, yeah. And you're just reminding me of, uh, I think, a really important practice, let's say, for a lot of leaders or principal, and that is know where the boundaries are. Paint a clear line where the boundaries are, and that allows your team then to go faster and to be more creative um, because they know where the limits are. And, and you were talking about, you know, staying compliant with the laws and, and being really clear about that, but that still provides you a lot of latitude to, to invent, as it were, and design. Uh, it does, and the laws even aren't clear, right? I mean, California, we don't even have a full firm set of implementing regulations from the last time, and now I got a new one. So this is where I think just having a common set of principles is helpful. Yeah. Because it gives people the right lens to begin looking at their projects so that it doesn't really matter exactly where the law falls if you're already designing with consumer rights and consumer viewpoints in mind. You know, you offer more than the law requires so that wherever it ends up landing in that particular jurisdiction doesn't matter so much because again, you want a common experience. You want people to feel comfortable regardless of, you know, where they happen to be going. Yeah, I, could, I couldn't agree more about those sort of key principles, really powerful as a leader. So you've convinced me now that privacy <laughs> actually is pretty darned exciting and there are a lot of things going on. So I, I'm just curious, how did you get into privacy? I'm sure you weren't growing up going, wow, this privacy area, boy, that oh, this is so exciting. I want to be a part of that. No, it wasn't even a field, you know, really back when I graduated from law school, it, it, you know, kind of raised its head later as we saw the advent of the internet, you know, come and then you had different types of really digital related experiences changing very much um, yeah. how we thought of our privacy and what happened with our privacy. So I have a relatively short attention span. <laughs> <laughs> and so I've always looked for ways of expanding my learning and my development and just my, my work experiences beyond whatever I'm doing at the moment. And typically that means some kind of extracurricular activities on top of my day job. But it also means adding regularly adding to my day job in a way where there's overlapping waves, right? Mm -hmm. You never really get rid of something till you've already started picking something up. And then finally, you find your successor and hand that thing off. And so that's sort of been my career. I've probably changed my practice area, eh, I'm guessing somewhere around eight different times, at least. And that doesn't even include the marketing career I had before I was a lawyer. So I was always looking for, for some new experience that would add value to the company and to myself. And in this case, we had a roadmap at the time where our very B2B company was moving very B2C. So we had a lot of consumer products on the roadmap. We were buying a wearables van. We were um, buying McAfee, the security software company. This is back in we, your Intel days. Yeah, we, yeah. Um, we you recall, we, we, it was an idea ahead of its time. We were going to build a set, we started building a set top box 
for mm -hmm. people to be able to curate and stream their own media. I mean, that, that would have been awesome back then, but we didn't have the media relationships and couldn't pull off the content side, but it was a good idea yeah. as we mm -hmm. now know. Right. Yeah. And so that had a camera on it that then, you know, is that going to be creepy or privacy by design because we wanted it to be usable from everybody from junior to grandpa was to put a little lens cover. Here you go. Done. <laughs> Low tech way of, of building privacy into something. So, um, you know, my boss said, oh, goodness, you know, look at the roadmap. We need someone to build a very strong global department in the legal department because we had a very small group in the policy group at the time. Mm -hmm. And we needed to happen yesterday. I don't know even what it means. And then it was also, and by the way, while you're at it, you should tack on cybersecurity. Um, we have a lawyer, you know, managing the IT group, but we don't really, you know, we need somebody, a leader in there to really see what's going on. So I basically got drop kicked into a brand new practice area. And it's interesting because the way I talk about career development, particularly for women, are these three C's. And usually it, it's almost always in this order where it's competence, because you got to have the goods confidence, yep. you know, and what you're doing now and doing a good job and then courage to leap into the next thing. And that's what I had done through my career. Now it's backwards. Like I got to have the courage to leap into something I don't know how to do again. And now, you know, I've, do I have confidence in it? Cause the first thing that happens is people say to you, well, how are you going to do that? And aren't you panicked? And what are you going to do? And then you got to build that competence from scratch because you know you have all these leadership qualities and how to build a global team and how to get results, but not in this particular field. Yeah. So it went really backwards for me, and it was a journey and a lot of work for the better course of a year until, you know, I'm I'm reading everything, I'm going to conferences, I'm in the audience, and I'm like, okay, that guy didn't say anything I don't already know. I feel pretty good about where I am. Yeah. Yeah, but that was that was a lot of work. That was a lot of work, but it paid off. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And especially as it's new, I mean, there's a lot to get your arms around. But let me just talk about one of the things you just mentioned there around your career, which I thought was interesting. And my interpretation of what you said was early on in my career, yeah, the courage was like, oh, sure, I can go do that. Now it's kind of flipped around the other way where the first thing is, hmm, do I have the courage to make that step? And I'm kind of maybe putting two and two together here of early on, we don't feel like we have so much to lose, but later on in our career, hey, we've got all of these things that we've accomplished, expectations are maybe higher, maybe more to lose. At least that's the way we might look at it. Is that what you were intending? No, honestly, it, it was purely like, particularly for a lawyer where you're an advisor mm -hmm. and you know something could go horribly right if you get it wrong um you are supposed to come correct at the first instance you you're supposed to be competent in your field very highly competent uh, okay gotcha and so yeah and so when you're younger no one really expects you to have you know uh, massive gotcha. amounts of competence across the board you're still learning you're supposed to be developing and learning new things as you're a senior leader, um, you know, many times I already, I, I mean, now I know a lot about a lot of different fields. I've moved around, you know, but this one, I really didn't know that much about and, and starting from absolute scratch again was a novelty. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously something that you've really enjoyed. 
it looks like it. it looks like it's an area that you have a lot of passion for this. I do have a lot of passion for it. And, and probably because I really, you know, having worked in tech my whole career and in the Silicon Valley for my whole legal career, you know, this, this marrying of innovation, because we don't want to quash all of this wonderful innovation that will actually help us. Yeah. But yeah. we want to be able to influence it in the right direction. And so that's a really wonderful place to be where you can do something like that. And you need to constantly be on top of it and learning because everything about this field is changing so much. And that also makes it a really good place for young people to join because mm -hmm. I have to keep up just as much as a person just starting out so that I don't get stale. And that is a wonderful thing to do every day and a wonderful future for anyone entering the field. Well, and it certainly is, I think you're, highlighting it's something that's getting it's it's core to almost everything that we do and becoming more and more important it 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 really is the new black i mean it's constantly in the media and on people's minds but as you said everyone does look at it differently and so experience and judgment and being able to prognosticate is what i bring to the table on top of someone who's mm -hmm. just starting out and learning as quickly as i am yeah, these are the soft skills in leadership that uh, I often talk to, to, to folks about, for sure. One of the questions that I hear a lot from people earlier in their career, like, how do I figure out my purpose? You know, I, I want to really figure it out, and then my career will, will take off. Yeah. What, what's your uh, experience of that? How, how did you come to be so clear on, yeah, this is really what I love to do? It's a really good question. And, and I, I just picked up a handful of mentees as well, because I really, at this point in my career, I care very much about giving back and helping other people where I can. And I've had these conversations a lot recently. First of all, I think you are spot on and even mentioning a purpose. I always have to have a purpose. I don't know what it, it's like innate in my being. I mean, for example, as a way to relax, I started crocheting things. And a couple of years ago, I was like crocheting a million hats and scarves and all this stuff. And uh, my mom was over and uh, she wanted to learn and saints preserve us on that. But anyway, I said, you know, it's really great because it's relaxing. I sit here doing it calmly. I said, but at the end, I've accomplished something. And she said, very dryly, as only my mother can, and God forbid a day go by that you haven't accomplished something. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. She said it in a way that really wasn't very nice. <laughs> but I understood what she meant, and I had never given that much thought before, but it's true. I have to have a purpose, or I get very antsy, like something's wrong. And so I was talking about retirement, and we both agreed we still needed to have a purpose after we retire. So first of all, I think Having a purpose is very important. And knowing that you are that type of person is very important. So what your purpose is, you know, only you can figure out. But I will say this about that. I do feel very sorry for young people. In addition to talking to law students, I went before my daughter graduated from high school, I went and talked to them about their careers. And yeah, I talked about being a lawyer for a while, but I talked very much about their futures from this environment of this influx of information constantly and the worry and concern that that brings to them. And so really my point was 
stop worrying about plotting your entire life right now. Yeah. You know, that was the problem. Figure out your purpose for the next year. <laughs> you know, Figure out something you're interested enough that seems like something that might work out for you and go do it. And then do it as best as you can to see if it works out and you like it so that you're not wondering if you didn't give it a good enough go. Yeah. If it works out, stick with it. If you hate it, move on. You, the world is your oyster right now. I did that accidentally by not having ever a five-year plan and bumbling around into every new opportunity that came my way. And I said, that's going to be fascinating. And sometimes that wasn't a move up. It was a sideways move. Sometimes it wasn't more money. It was just all about an experience. And then that gave me this broad foundation of experiences that always come to play in ways I could have never anticipated. And you can't reach that point in your career if you don't just take chances and look at everything as a new opportunity and a new way to learn. So you don't have to have it all figured out right now. Just figure out the next step. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think you said that so well, that life is a series of experiences and Okay, you try something out, you raise your hand, doesn't work out. Okay, that's all right. Then that's not for you and find the next thing. And I think it evolves. And I've, I've certainly got a similar sort of feedback from a lot of people I've asked that question to. We, we got to figure it out and find it. And that may change in time as well. It's never- well, And everybody's preferences are different. You know, I know people who are types of lawyers that would kill me if I had to do it, but they love it. And so, you know, only you can figure out where, you know, think about simple things like what do I like and what do I don't like? And that can just be right there, a little light bulb in your head. And if you're unsure, go ask someone who knows you really well. I had one of these little management things at Intel where it was go ask people who know you best. What do you like to do and what you don't like to do? And man, did I come back with really consistent results from the people who knew me best and they were spot on. And I had never even given it that much thought before, but it really kind of changed my thinking about, yeah, I should just steer clear of those things I really don't like. Yeah, 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 it's a great- But that said, you know, the other thing is to just enjoy what you're doing while you're doing it. Even if you're sticking it out for a while, there's always something to learn and something to celebrate. and. Sometimes it, it will be something you don't even know is going to happen. Like at one point at Intel, I took over the corporate responsibility group and it was mostly just, I was cleaning, you know, they cleaning up a little bit. They, I redrafted their agreements. I helped them, you know, with some of their running of the nonprofit group. And I did some, you know, foreign corrupt practices training because they were out with foreign governments all the time. But for the most part, what it was, was a little celebration every day. Mm -hmm. The first time in my life, I've got no bombs in my email every day is look what we've done for women and girls with computer equipment in third world countries today. <laughs> and now I have a little tiny part of that. What a joyous experience for the time I, I supported them, you know, and then I handed off, I wrapped it all in a nice bow and handed it off to another lawyer. But, you know, these are things to, to just accept and experience and enjoy while you're doing it and not think about, how is this going to move me forward or something, yeah. you know, stop and smell the roses now and then. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're uh, bringing up a thought for me here around, you know, your, your purpose and we go and try things out and sometimes take a big risk. You know, I, I respect you and know you certainly as a role model for 
you know, female leaders, career advancement, leveling the playing field. And I, I got to say, I was surprised at the time when when you joined Uber. I was like, well, <laughs> Ruby joined Uber? Hmm. Now, I was obviously looking backwards at the Uber that, you know, I think we all heard originally. And I was like, wow, well, I would have I would have put money that that would never have happened. Now, you're also not somebody that when we talk about you take risks, you don't just like, well, the, the hell with that. I'm just going to jump in, see what happens. So I'm curious, what gave you the confidence to, to make that decision? Because that was a big one for you. It was a big one. As you know, I, I had a very successful career at Intel. I was a vice president, which was not easy at a no. male-dominated manufacturing and engineering company. So when they called, it gave me pause. <laughs> sure. You know, but I'm a data-driven person, so I did what any rational person was, and I started digging into the data. I started doing my due diligence, one step at a time, right? So uh, I, I knew that they were trying to turn the corner. In fact, one of my clients at Intel at the time in the artificial intelligence group, which I had also picked up, was the cousin of the CEO at Uber. And they're a very well-known, you know, really smart, successful family. And they're not going to pick things up that are going to tarnish their reputation. They mean to do new things, change things around for the better. They're yeah. very, you know, they have, they're very ethical and all of that. So that was a good point in Uber's favor, right? They've got this new CEO who, who, who did some good things already. And then the general counsel he managed to lure in there, which I still wonder how he did that, was a person who graduated from Stanford Law the year before I did, who has a stellar reputation, worked for the Obama administration and the DOJ. He was yeah. the general counsel of PepsiCo. I mean, this is a man with a sterling reputation as well. Um, again, not someone who's going to go somewhere that is not up and up. And then they hired the co-writer of the Eric Holder Culture Report that pointed out all the things that Uber needed to do differently. You don't hire the woman who co-wrote the culture report of changes if you don't mean to mm -hmm. <laughs> adopt all those changes. And yeah. talk about having investigated and knowing where all the bones are buried, right? Yeah, yeah. So those were all really good steps in the right direction. So I was one of the earlier hires that Tony West, my boss, made. And so it was somewhat a leap of faith, but I trusted him. And yeah. that made all the difference. I trusted him when he told me he wanted to build something new and that I got to do it and that he would let me do it and fund it appropriately. But he couldn't tell me what that would look like because that was up to me to tell him. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, you know, it could have been a bait and switch, but I didn't think it was. And it, it didn't turn out to be that way. So it was my chance to help a pre-IPO company, an experience I hadn't had yet, yeah. build yeah. something new and be more mature and more acceptable to shareholders in anticipation of that. And that's what I did. Fantastic. And it sounds like you can put, you, you were able to put your, your purpose and your vision around sort of female career advancement actually to great use and, and, and get a lot of, lot of value out of that for the, for the company. Mm -hmm. Well, then I quickly became the co-chair of the women of CLO, which is the law compliance and security org. I became their executive sponsor and then I co-chair women at Uber. <laughs> right. yeah. So there you go. It's a great example of, hey, it's a leadership opportunity. Again, actually, you're raising your hand, you're jumping in and going, oh yeah, I can, I can do that. Yeah, um, the things I care about. Yeah, yeah. And 
I think you're already alluding to this, but I'm curious, how has the experience been? Has it, has it lived up to your expectations? Has it been surprising in any ways? All that, honestly, all that was surprising was, and, and I do this every time I have a new client even, I think, well, you don't know what their biases are going to be. In fact, mm. when law students ask me what, you know, what they need to be successful, my answer is you need to figure out how to get people to trust you. And it, that's partly competence, but it's really how you exhibit your competence and influence. Yeah. And when I thought back at all the different ways I've built trust, it's all over the place. And some are hilarious, to be honest with you. The things, the little things that turn the corner for somebody can just make yeah. you fall on the floor. So I think, you know, that kind of trust was so important to getting my job done. And I thought I was going to be out there with my sandwich board will work for food until people kind of got used to me and yeah. that I was okay and not a robot. No, they were just waiting for me. I had so many one-on-ones when I first started interviewing so many people and 100%, they all said, we could not wait for you to get here and start helping us. So I was able to move right into operational work and skip the whole process of, you know, please like me. I'm here to help. I'm not a roadblock. You know, I just was able to skip over that and go right to operational work because I got the benefit of the doubt that I was going to do the right thing for them, that I could be trusted and that I knew what I was doing. Yeah. Well, and I say that's terrific because I can imagine a company starting out, a lot of startups create these very, very strong, clear cultures, good or bad. You know, you're in the trenches together. You're you're figuring everything out. A company like Uber has to make a big change. It's a it's a right hand turn. It's not just a gradual curve. It's yank the wheel and bringing in new people. And I, I have seen that where there's them and us. It's like oh, they're the they're the new ones, or uh, the, those are the the problematic people. It sounds like Uber's been able to navigate that really well. I think they, they have been because, look, the vision is set. So get on the bus or mm-hmm. get out of the way. You know, if you can't turn this corner with us to this new culture we are all building and in it together, you really don't have a place here anymore. And so there was a pretty big executive shakeup, you know. Yeah. And, you know, there were also people who were just tired who wanted to move on to a new opportunity, which I completely accept. Sure. And so it was, you know, there were just so many new leaders and so many people who were very enthusiastic, really rolling up the sleeves, willing to do anything to help this company turn the corner and move ahead, that I really felt like we were all in it together. And it was a good experience. Great, great. And I think it illustrates the importance of accountability. And I talk about that a lot to senior leaders of you have to be clear about the, the culture, the behaviors that are acceptable around here and the ones that aren't and holding people accountable to those. And I think what you're illustrating here is when you do that, you can actually make a big change and develop a whole new culture, which is, it sounds like that's what's happened. Yeah, I think so. And, and my boss was also just great at hiring a very diverse staff. Mm-hmm. I've never worked with such a diverse senior staff in my life. And when we were still in the office, my aisle way, 
um, where I sat was awesome. You know, two Latina women, a bunch of other women and my boss who's African-American man and then one other African-American man. And I was like, oh my God, like I'm loving my view. <laughs> my outside view wasn't great at the time. <laughs> my inside view was awesome. Fabulous. Well, I, I got to say, I'm 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 delighted that it's working out so well for you, and and no surprise because you're obviously a part of that uh, in terms of leading that change. And having worked with you for a number of years, you know, I, I certainly know the you know what you bring to an organization around helping them sort of move forward and and follow really positive sort of leadership principles. Um, so one last question for you. And you've accomplished a, a heck of a lot so far. And there's obviously a lot more still to come. I'm curious from a work perspective, what are you most proud of? Boy, you know, it's interesting. I really wasn't raised <laughs> <laughs> proud of myself. Um, you know, as many women, you know, uh, aren't really raised to think that way. And so um, I, I think what I would say is, at some point, and I can't really tell you when or where it was, there was no defining moment to it, I don't think. It seemed just more like a journey, but I think at some point, my viewpoint and my mission and my vision and my purpose shifted away from myself to others, mm. you know? Yeah. And it, again, it was, it didn't happen overnight and it wasn't a giant leap. It was little things day by day caring more about other people. And the joy that I get from contributing instead of just getting what I need. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when you look at unhappy people, it's because they're not giving back and participating in a way that helps others. And when you read studies, it's all about, you know, giving back that, that yeah. makes people happier. And so today's environment has made that so much more important as so many people suffer and yeah. are in bad places and the world is, you know, in an upheaval that if you are in a good place, I feel like I am in a good solid place that it's so important to help other people stay safe and sane and secure and, and upbeat and looking to a future that looks better than, than right now as we're all, you know, in our homes and locked down and struggling to survive. So, yeah, well, I think it's that. Yeah, well, I tell you, that's 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 not trivial, you know, and that's really leadership's about we. Um, so that's a fabulous way to end the interview. You know, thank you so much for your time. You know, you've you've given me a perspective now around privacy. It's like, whoa, it's exciting. There's a lot going on. <laughs> place to be. It's the place to be. Come join us because we don't have enough. Uh, experts across the board in all these different fields. So there's plenty of room for new people to learn just like I did. You don't have to start as an expert. And a lot of opportunity to really shape our future. This is what you were talking about. So fabulous. Thank you so much for, for your time and sharing your insights with us, Ruby. Thank you for having me, Andy. It was nice seeing you. Likewise. Thanks for listening. I hope you too have a new appreciation for the role of privacy in our everyday lives. To learn more about Ruby, check out the links in the show notes. 
and to listen to other leaders talking about how they got to where they are today and the steps along the way, go to oyster.team forward slash podcast. You can subscribe to this show at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening and leadership is no accident.